0: Okay. Hi, everyone. I am Ishan Anand, CTO at Layer Zero.
1: And I'm Mark Percato, VP of Engineering at Layer Zero.
0: And welcome to JavaScript Jam. On today's episode, we have two guests from the New Dynamic. They're both a community and an agency. That's something we're going to dig into, uh, focused on the Jamstack space. They've had a lot of history from the beginning, even before it was called Jamstack. So it'll be a really interesting conversation. So we've got Bud Parr who is the founder of The New Dynamic and Regis Filbert, lead developer at The New Dynamic. Hi guys, welcome and, and thanks for joining us today.
2: Hey, nice to be here.
1: Hey,
3: thanks for having us.
0: So, uh, you know, first maybe just tell us, you know, a little bit about your background and then how each of you got into the Jamstack space. And then I'd love to explore kind of, you know, the history of Jamstack from your vantage point.
2: Yeah, sure. Um, so, I actually became interested in JAMstack in 2012 and I had been building websites for quite some time, uh, mostly fairly complex websites and that sort of thing using, you know, PHP software, like, uh, expression engine and that sort of thing. Um, and, um, I was working on a big project that had a very complex you know, content model. And we were going to replicate the the project over a course of the next couple of years in different countries and that sort of thing. And something made me just, you know, I was really I had been intrigued by Jekyll. And um, so this is by now 2013. And I proposed to the client that we save them a lot of money and try this new paradigm out. And to my surprise, they went for it. Um, Jekyll was pretty early in those days and it ended up being very difficult to implement at the time, but it was fantastic. And um, I remember back then thinking, oh my God, what have I done to my client? You know, and I would just, I was losing sleep at night and that sort of thing. Cause there weren't really CMSs or anything like that at the time. Um, but they were down with it and it went pretty well. Um, I never looked back. Uh, I've never started a new project since then, um, on anything other than some Jamstack, you know, method. So,
0: since 2012.
2: Since 2013.
0: Yeah. Since 2013. So yeah. you know, basically eight years, almost a decade. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You haven't
0: looked back. So I'm curious, what was what what type of project was this, and why do you think the client was so interested? Did you have to sell them hard? I mean, this is the early days; there wasn't a term.
2: Yeah, no, because it was um it was a very strange project. I mean the, 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 the client was a, a government entity, not United States government, but a government entity. And they needed to be it was relatively low budget for that type of client and they needed to be very nimble with it. Um they wanted a lot of feedback and that sort of thing, and I was able to show them prototypes very quickly and you know it just kind of it felt right. Um they, they, being lawyers, were kind of okay with Markdown, which is what we had. We had these Markdown documents that, that they were editing in GitHub um, at the time. And other than a few snafus, they got it, you know. Um, they understood these were documents and that we were publishing those documents and that sort of thing.
0: So, what, um, you had lawyers editing Markdown in GitHub?
2: Yeah. Well, they were, they were essentially submitting documents. So, they knew each document had to have a title and
0: yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That sort of
2: thing um you know and and we knew that i had a lot of control over you know the output and that sort of thing but this was to be a um a kind of a discussion site where they would put up a if you have ever seen this in the new york times they used to do this thing where they would put up a topic and then they would have you know several um, um, arguments on that topic and then counter arguments and that sort of thing they were all related and then this was supposed to be replicated in um several countries and that sort of thing so it was it was kind of an interesting fit and we did the project It lasted for a few years and it's gone now but you know i really loved having having done that and it was it was insane to to bet the ranch on on jekyll at the time um and i paid the price for that in terms of you know having to spend a lot of time working on it but uh but yeah it was it was exciting too
0: so, uh, Regis, were you working with Bud at the time, or what was your journey? You know, your first in, you know introduction to, to Jamstack, and how did no, you? No, so my journey was
3: I I was a, I've been a front end dev for, for ten years, and I was mostly specialized in WordPress. You know, as any front end dev, you can work out a lot of front end stuff, but you have one backend framework you're kind of comfortable with, and mine was WordPress. So it was easy to find work, you know, but at some point it started to get a bit. Boring, I would say, to work in that environment. And I found out about, I knew about Jekyll. I had tried to set it up on my local machine, but I guess it was not as you know, lucky or educated as Bud because I could never have, have it work. So I passed that static site generation introduction for a few years. And then uh, Smashing Mag uh, started uh, moving their website to use Hugo and they tweeted about it. And so they introduced me to that new static site generators. And I figured I'll give that one a chance. And I started, played around with it. It was easy to set up and it just instantly worked whenever I edit something in the code. So I started redoing my website with it, my own website, like a lot of people do when they find a new tool. And I just you know, kind of slowly fell in love with it, started writing blog posts about it, getting engaged into the community for that particular framework that led me to being engaged in the Jamstack community when I found out there was actually a name for what I was doing. <laughs> And as, um, and through that community, I met Bud and we noticed each other. And at some point, Bud had some work for me. And I was in the process of you know, questioning my career as to like, I'm being bored. I don't want to do WordPress and LEM Stack anymore, but it's hard to sell it to clients. I managed to convince one client to do it, but it was a long prospect. And I figured if I wanted to get rid of WordPress, I would never be able to sustain a living uh, right now. And Bud gave me the opportunity, he gave me some work. And then he told me, do you want to join full time? jamstack said yeah and um and now i'm lucky enough to be working full-time in the jamstack for it's been two years now that we're together and it's uh and it's a dream because i don't have to question my career anymore i can go for another 10 years and that's, that's actually pretty satisfactory so yeah
1: Uh, But you mentioned that cost was one of the drivers for you to adopt Jekyll in the first place. Was that the main driver or were there other factors as well? Um,
2: Well, you know, the way that I had proposed it to the client was because, you know, uh, the software at the time, um, and we were, of course, you know, kind of running our own servers and that sort of thing, and the the software that we had to, um, you know, to create multiple sites. So these would be kind of replicas of the same, of one site, but, you know, propagated out into different countries and that sort of thing. And so, you know, the software to do that and the servers and to make sure that, um, you know, we were able to serve this all over the world um, would have been pretty expensive. And, um, you know, so the proposal to the client was is that, you know, um, that the hosting was inexpensive, even, you know, as we scaled um, that just that just the cost of setting things up and replicating, you know, so it's a Jekyll site. If you need another site or a, a static site generator, you click a button, you, you know, you fork the site and, and you're done. Um, and that's quite a bit different than any of the software that existed at the time. So yeah, there was, I was able to propose it not just in terms of its benefits,
1: but at the time, particularly the cost savings. Gotcha. yeah, And read just like what drove you to look into static sites in the beginning? What was the kind of genesis there? Um, because
3: I'm mean, being a front end, having to deal with the back end was not something I was really excited about. I mean, cPanel, you know, we know we all know about them, but that was not my trend. And that was, and you know, some I mean, the the most the biggest crisis of my career was when a server went down and I had no idea why because there was a you know a sudden surge in visitors and because. I was not a very trained and you know really expert at backend. I had not put in place everything there. So I just wanted to remove that concern uh, from my own uh, field. And so that's why I wanted to jump into a site generators, knowing that I would not have to worry about backend, that the end game was just push files up there in the cloud and you know your client will only have to download the files to their browser and that's it. That's really what I was appealed for. Bye. So
1: tell us a little bit about like new dynamic, as you mentioned, it's, it's both a community and a consulting agency. Like where did it get its start and how did it evolve into what it is today?
2: Well, so a, a few things came together. So, you know, at the time in say 2013, and then starting into 2014, you know, this was very few people were into You know what we now call Jamstack it it was just wasn't a thing the name didn't exist um at the time and a lot of the community was um around around Jekyll and then um what was the other one middleman um and there were a few you know they were starting to pop up here and there DocPad and that sort of thing and so um I felt a need to start talking about this paradigm. I was so excited about it. Um, it really, really energized me. So I started a website, which at the time was the new Um, and I started listing a database of different things of different, uh, there I was putting, this was before Slack existed as well. So I had tons and tons of links to articles. I had a database of various tools and things like that. So it was really meant to bring people, you know, into the space, make, you know, ease their path into the space. At the same time, I realized that what I felt was broken in my own small, you know, web practice or web agency was was pricing. And with all that I could save by not having to manage servers, by not having to manage the infrastructure of, you know, PHP-based websites and all the software updates and all of the, you know, bug fixes and, um, you know, all of that, which is considerable, particularly if you're a small shop and, you, you know, your resources, you have to spread. Then I realized that the pricing um, um, was off. And with, if I were doing everything in Jamstack, I could be doing it on a different basis. So I started the idea of charging people on a monthly basis from the get-go, never a project fee. They just come in. We charge them on a monthly basis. And so I knew at that time I needed to change my agency around. And so I was actually talking to a friend of mine. We were kind of considering working together and he said, well, I don't want to do this, but I love the name and you should stick with the name. So I just created the agency from the name that I because originally the new dynamic was static is the new dynamic um and that's what it arose from and after a while of course I, I lost the word static out of that name because you know the connotations of static are the misunderstandings that come from from that word so um you know so it just kind of happened very naturally after that um and with the exceptional you know or once in a while you know somebody being confused by it it's never a, a real problem our clients mostly don't come from you know the developers anyway so they're very separate things
0: yeah i'm actually really curious about that because we're talking you know pre-2016 so before the term even it was jamstack was coined and and popularized how did you message to you know clients you know this is the only way we do things like how would you say no to somebody who's like i need you to do some wordpress stuff or did you have a way that you had created a funnel that's only people who are interested in stuff that you could apply static to how did you how did you ma- navigate well, that in the early days like going, sure. jamstack only as an agency when
2: you're a small shop people are hiring you as a person and so they trust you quite a bit um with their technology problems and so they it's kind of like this is this is what we're doing and, and they're either good with that or they're not if somebody said oh we have to be in drupal um well we've we've turned those people away and we've said, we just don't do that. And we've explained to them why we don't do that. And sometimes they'd have a reason or, or, you know, that they needed to be in it or something like that. And sometimes they would, you know, go with whatever we had, Um, you know, and we had say when, when uh, content editor layers came around like forestry, um, you know, somebody would say, oh, well, we need to be in WordPress. And I would hold up, you know, the forestry application on my phone and say you mean this and it was just an editor you know and they would say oh yes that's what we need because you know wordpress had become kind of a a, of a name for cms right people use um so you know it it's we've certainly left business on the table um by doing that but we've been kind of fine with that too you know um i think that for us finding that right fit is super important because we work with people for years and years and years and years, you know,
0: you don't feel like you have, you've turned away, you've been fine going Jamstack alone, even in, in the 20, like it wasn't a a tough slog. You'd say in the 2012 to 2016, when people didn't know what it is. And maybe you didn't have all the, the complimentary CMS editors and stuff like that, that we have today. You were still able to, to, I, I guess, get sufficient enough. Yeah, to, yeah.
2: there there was a, a product that lasted for a while called Webhook that had a nice editor, um, you know. So we've used all the editors that have come around, <laughs> you know, that have come and gone over the years and that sort of thing to, you know, to work with clients or some we have, we have some clients that we manage the content for, so they, they never see anything. They don't, they don't know or, you know, and we just explain to them that they're not going to, um, you know, have any problems when, when they get uh, mentioned in the New York Times or something like that, you know, and so that, that's what they want to see. You know, most most of our clients are very uh, focused on their front end; they like to see their website on their mobile device, and and they're happy. The clients that we have that are more technical, and we have uh, quite a few of those, um, more than likely came to us, you know, for our Jamstack expertise. So those weren't weren't an issue, and we're maybe half and half or. Two thirds, one third, you know, with more technical clients. So
0: oh, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, I want to actually talk about you know the the mix of the clients in, in a little bit. But uh, one thing I do want to cover is like you've been at this for a really long time. I'm curious. I I think of the whole Jamstack history as kind of like three eras, right? There's pre 2016 before the term was coined, um, and you guys were were definitely active then. There's kind of 2016 to 2020 which is kind of, it grows in popularity. And then there's the future, which is basically, you know, 2020 and beyond, you know, trying to adapt Jamstack to large numbers of pages, more dynamic techniques, personalization. Um, the, the thing I'm curious about is for that, we've talked about that early earlier and, and, you know, what challenges were like there, but why do you think in that 2016 to 2020, that middle era, We just got through Jamstack became as popular as it has over the last five years Um, because we've had static sites, you know, from the beginning of the web, like Tim Berners-Lee's first page was a static site. What are the key trends that actually enabled Jamstack to flourish, you know, 2016 to
2: 2020 and not in the 90s? Aaron Schwartz coined the the phrase, uh, bake, don't fry.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah. But yet, even when he coined that, people all agreed with it and then went on using WordPress. Uh, I'm curious if you have any thoughts. Like, What what led to the popularity of GemStack? Why now?
2: What do you think, Regis?
0: Well,
3: I think that 27 2018 2019 is when we started getting a lot of javascript framework that were now able to produce static sites and i think there's a lot of enthusiasm, enthusiasm for, for javascript there's a lot of javascript developers there's a lot of react developers and when you know product out of that ecosystem starting labeling themselves as static site generators and which they are then that's people get interested because you didn't have to go into understanding Jekyll and how it works. You didn't have to go into the, the, Hugo is using its own templating language, which you have to learn out of the box and nobody else, but Hugo users uses it. And uh, so when you tell people, you know JavaScript, you know React, and we have that, that Gatsby or all of the other uh, static site generators based on React that were developed, you know Vue, then we have Nuxt, or then that people are ready to jump into that wagon. And it takes them like a day to just familiarize themselves with that system because they're very well aware of how the language works, and then they can start pushing towards this. And if like me, they were bored at their previous, you know, kind of stack, they can jump onto that one easy. And then you can tell their boss, Hey, there's this thing it works with react, but it builds that exact generators. And now we've covered the advantages of, of those files being up there just in the cloud. And we can build this with our current developers because they love react and they want to push this. So that's one of my feeling as why recently it got very popular because What we've recently talked about more and more is JavaScript based static site generator, pre-render or however we want to call them.
0: Interesting. Do you guys, are you surprised by how popular Jamstack has become? Like if you had been asked in 2016, do you think it'll, it'll? I I say it's going to take over all of (laughs) web development. Would you guys have predicted that?
2: No. As a matter of fact, I, I remember when, uh, and Matt Bilmon was, was a guy in forums and that sort of thing. And, and you know, the stuff that they've created and everything since then was is just, you know, like I was always kind of blown away by that, to be honest. I, I really didn't think that all of our problems would be solved so beautifully um, in the space. So,
3: But I jumped a little bit later. So when I started the Gemstack, Netlify was already there. So for me... And I realized that the future was okay. So for most of the websites of the world are handled well by WordPress, but there are other commonalities that they're simple website. I mean, they have their complexities, but it's a lot of content, you know, there's a few contact forms and then it's companies, uh, you know, promoting their products or it's people blogging or it's documentation sites, or it's huge traveling agencies that have a lot of sites have a lot of pages, but it's still just content. And those, They don't have to use WordPress. They can use something as simple as a static site generators. So that was my naiveness, I guess, to think that people would be, you know, tend to use that and it would become, it would fastly become the new way of doing the web it's, it's taking longer than that. I realize that now, but, uh, I'm not surprised it's popular and,
0: um, yeah. So looking at that last era. The, the future era, 2020 and beyond, as I broke it down, where we started getting, you know, more dynamic techniques, incremental static generation, uh, distributed persistent rendering, parallel static rendering, all these these techniques, people trying to do personalization with logic at the edge. You know, w- do you have any thoughts on, you know, what key things the ecosystem needs to be solving for moving forward? or Or what are you looking forward to or, you know, hoping for in, in the next five years of Jamstack,
3: I'm um, I'm closely following um, on-demand builders or uh, you know dynamic rendering, which is what we used to do with you know the LAM Stack. And it's just I realize that now this becomes the edge the edge case. So you have ten thousands of your pages which are static, or maybe less, and then for some very rarely visited web uh, web pages, you can have the an on-demand builder building it and that's something we can achieve with any framework i mean next is making it very easy for you but if you're not using next you can still use any resources from your host any serverless functions features that they have to create that builder yourself it's just about returning html so i'm i'm following that closely because i really think that in the future even though static is um um is a, is a very good way to host your website i think if you have 50000 pages Maybe pushing fifty thousand files in the cloud every single for every single build is not that ideal. Maybe you should just push a thousand of those and the the other files which are very seldom used then you can pre you can render them on the fly, like in the good old days. But it becomes an edge case now and um and for me, when that paradigm is sold and it 's actually sold, but it could make it could be made easier in many other environments i 'm not seeing any limit.
2: I believe you, you know, I think there's a real, you know, argument and there always has been for choosing the right tool for the job, you know, so um, and of course, you know, in this field, you have to, you have to have a limited tool set, right? You can't use every single tool. So we're not building, you know, 50, 100,000 page sites. We had a, we had uh, an event uh, at one of our meetups uh not too long ago well a couple of years now a friend of mine who worked at Bed Bath and Beyond and he was kind of trying to solve that problem because they had hundreds of thousands of vendors you know um bringing in uh pages on their website and that sort of thing so but those aren't you know our problems to solve um you know our problems we still we work with sites in the you know 10,000 page range something like that you know product sites or something like that and, there's no problem at all rendering those statically. Um, no, but at- do you use,
1: like, sorry, uh, uh, tool wise, like, do you use the same framework for all of your projects or do you use different tools? Do you have a choice over that?
2: We are um, mostly focused on Hugo as a tool. Um, Hugo solves some problems for us really elegantly as a business. Um, You know, a key factor in our business because we work with people over a period of years. We manage a lot of websites, so you know we're not always working on the same websites. um, Is that we need a great deal of stability, and Hugo ships with a binary, uh, and so we can we can build a site and build that exact same site, you know, some years down in the future, and that stability is really wonderful for us. Um, And it's a very flexible tool. And of course, as we all know, it's very fast at building a lot of pages, particularly with, you know, a lot of complex queries on any given page. So not just building pages flat out, but building pages with complexity uh, where there are many, many, uh, you know, a large site. So it handles that really well for us. So that's our focus. We also use Eleventy, um, which is a really wonderful tool as as well. Um, You know, it can be very simple and, Grow with you and that sort of thing. We're looking at the new set of tools, um, but we do tend to stay away from JavaScript frameworks, um, just because I think that that for us, for our needs, you know, the maintenance levels uh, would probably be too high. And we can still do. We can build. You know, Regis can speak to this, but we build React. We build the things that we need to. You know, we can still use React. We can still use all of yeah. those tools within within our tool set.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah I, most I will of our say, projects. Oh, go, no, go ahead, Regis.
3: No, I just wanted to say most of our projects will eventually need a you know a one page a tiny web app that you need like a form or, or a, or a scheduler or whatever. So we are, we we use JavaScript. We just don't think we just don't use a JavaScript framework per se for every single project. Just, um, just what you need on the client side.
0: Yeah, um, and on the the page limit, I mean we're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum. Like at Layer Zero, we specialize in the guys who have more than 10,000 pages uh, right. and have hundreds of thousands up to millions of pages. And, and that's why we tend to be bigger fans of kind of the more dynamic techniques. Um, is there yeah, anything else, uh, Bud, that that you see is the, the future kind of of Jamstack over the next five years?
2: Well, you know, in a way, I feel like... Um, a lot of what Jamstack is going to be doing is becoming more normal, uh, rather than, you know, I'm not to say, like I said, I was very bad at, at realizing all the problems that could come up that people would have solved. Um, you know, and, and that's been beautiful. So I'm, I'm not, um, good at, at seeing the future that way, but, but I do think that, that the next five years will mostly be. Bringing people into the field, making things easier to, you know, get a full website up and going, and that sort of thing. Whether that's, you know, we've seen a lot of interesting tools like Stackbit and Tina CMS coming along, and you know, editing interfaces is just seems to be a never-ending problem to solve on the web. And now, you know, when when I first started looking at this, there were probably other than maybe, you know, some obscure really high-end enterprise systems, but the headless CMS space, there were three players that I knew of. Uh, One of them is still, you know, the dominant player, Contentful. But, um, and now there's, you know, there are countless of these. And so some of that will probably clear out. You can see where people are really innovating in that space and there's open source tools and, you know, things like that. People are solving the problems of monetizing uh, open source. So I I feel like the next five years is more normalization and making
1: things, um, less niche. Going back to the present and, and talking about, you know, your work as an agency specifically, what are the kinds of customers that you've been building sites for, or maybe just the kinds of sites in the last two years or so? And has that changed, you know, maybe since, you know, a few years back?
2: um well the change for us I, we used to work with a lot of um publishing people and that sort of thing and some media companies um and um yeah i mean we still do i mean in terms of bringing in new clients so the yeah. change for us has been bringing people in from the startup area um because i think that um, the people that they 're getting funded by are saying no you can 't do things the old way. you need to do it this way and so they they 're they 're out looking for experts, and so we 've gotten some of that business and our paradigm of working on a you know sprint basis where people just pay us monthly and we 're just kind of always there working for them works really well for them because they 're super busy and they just don 't have time to think about their website so um, you know our our client profiles are people who Um, their website may not be the, the core of their business, but it's central to what they, them accomplishing their goals. So they need, it's, it's just mission critical. And so they need a team that's always on for them and they need that stability and scalability and flexibility that they get with, with, um, Jamstack sites.
1: So are there any projects that come to mind that presented any like interesting challenges either with using Jamstack or or challenges that Jamstack solved in a really interesting way?
3: Yeah, there is... Um, I'm not sure that Jamstack solved it, but we found a solution through Jamstack. We have clients who need regionaliz- regional- regionalization. How <laughs> know you call it? Well, you need your content to be adapted to the visitors, right? So based on country. So we have a client who has... Uh, services in France, in Canada, in the U.S., and whenever their visitors come from one of those countries, they want that content to be adapted, be it the homepage or the projects they promote um, or the language that they use to target certain audiences. And, you know, if, you, if you're not using the JAMstack, you can do that by uh, server, on, you know, server rendering. Like, your server is going to interpret where that person comes from and, you know, manipulate the page, render it, and send it back. But with Static, you don't have that 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 facility, but what you can do is create a, a variation of files for each given page, and then what we had the solution was we create four different pages, four different files, and then we use the logic of the CI, which is which was Netlify, who has a very you know intuitive things about creating redirections and and uh, permalink rewrites, and then you just tell, all right, that person comes from France, so we're going to serve them that file. With that permalink in their in their browser bar, and they're not going to know the difference and so and that was an interesting challenge is because there's a lot of content fluctuations that you have to handle it with your static site generators and then generate those permalinks dynamically i mean on the fly at the build so that was one of the interesting challenges, but now most of the challenges are sold out there, and there's always there's a service that can help you or uh, so it's it's mostly about learning new stuff. I think the challenge is you have a given, a given new client that gives you its prerogatives, and then it's about which service you're going to use. Maybe 80% you already know what you're going to do, and 20% you're going to have to find new ways. And it's about learning new new services, new documentation sites, new tailor-made JavaScript library, et cetera, et cetera, and getting yourself up to speed every single week because it's changing fast. Not only the needs of the clients, they're never changing, but the way they want to do it by applying it to find out something new. And then you add it to your stack list. Next time you don't have to look for that service or that or that that way, that ingenuity, you already have done it. But it's um it's really about keeping up to date.
2: And even, you know, we we had other clients who let's say a client in the Mideast who had the similar but opposite problem. You know, they had they have do business in a bunch of different countries and some countries they, they literally just didn't want people in those other countries to know, you know, certain things that they were doing on their website. So, you know, uh, those those sorts of things become mission critical, but also the fact, the, the simple fact that, that these sites are served on a global CDN, um, you know, HTML and everything, which is not something that you can do with, you know, the traditional Lamp Stack site. So there are a lot of problems that we've, we've had to solve like that that are, I think, very well tailored to, to Jamstack. But just really the biggest thing that we've seen is actually quite simple. The fact that um, we have clients that come to us, we work on a sprint, we do work, we are able to show them a prototype of their entire website, we, and then they want it live and we push it live. You know, things like that are just, you know, really fantastic, you know, just yeah. day-to-day business
3: And I would add, I would just add that we never had to say no to any JAMstack requirements. We always found a way. I mean, I say no to Bud, but then he would push me and tell me you can do it and (laughs) just, just, just keep trying. And then we eventually always find a way. I mean, it's, it's really a constriction game, just like any development. So we always find a way.
0: Yeah. That, the, that developer velocity you get is something we hear a a lot from, from our customers as well. Um, It's, it's really really valuable um i one criticism jamstack sometimes get is there's a plethora of services like Hmm. whereas with wordpress everything was in wordpress it was plugins that went into wordpress but everything had that home and we had a central pane of glass you know the enterprise buyers like to talk about that you controlled everything um and when you move to you know the jamstack ecosystem it's it's a map of a variety of different services some that come and go um, and I know this came up in the Matt versus Matt debate at like the Jamstack conference a few years ago. Have you ever had any reaction or pushback from from clients about, you know, all the different services that, that need to be used? Or have you bit, done a really good job kind of drawing the boundaries on which services you rely on?
2: Yeah, I think that, you know, most of our clients, when, say when we're working with a CTO and... They're doing an audit or something like that. And they they need to know all the moving pieces and that sort of thing. But but I think we we ultimately have a pretty good story to tell about you know why we're using all those services. The thing about Jamstack and that is important to us and and I think important to our clients ultimately is the fact that we're only using the technology that we need. We're not using a, you know where say you know we don't like the editor anymore. Well, we use a different editor. You know that sort of thing. Um, that kind of flexibility really pays off for us. And, you know, maybe we're using, you know, AWS for images here, and and we get to choose and pick and choose the different tools that we can use um, as we go. So yeah, it could be bewildering. I gave a talk some years ago on what I called full stack static, which was kind of you know imagining all the different ways you could do things, and it it thoroughly failed. It, it thoroughly confused everybody in the audience. <laughs> you know. Um, and the list of services is only grown. I, I think it's a legitimate criticism. Um, and of course, we all in this field kind of choose our favorites. Um, we probably more than than many because of our involvement in the community um, are really try to keep an eye on all the new services and that sort of thing. And it's a lot, you know, it's a lot. Yeah. But But they all have great differentiation. It's really wonderful to be able to pick and choose and not just say, okay, this is my editor.
3: You know, yeah. Or this is my localization by. plugin because right. <laughs> WordPress has one and nobody likes it. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, when I when I did WordPress, I had to build everything myself because I didn't like the plugins that were there and not everything. But, you know.
0: Uh, I, I'm curious then, you know, we're almost at time. So to wrap up, I'm just kind of curious as somebody who's, you know, seen the whole history of this space and then keeps tabs on all the new services. What, what do you think are the most exciting New up and coming services uh, that maybe people don't know about that that have got you really interested. Uh, just to kind of close this up.
2: Well, a lot of uh, you know what the the big thing that I didn't predict was was the growth of serverless and how that would really put us over the edge of being able to solve any problem. You know, um, it seems like service serverless has been a little bit quiet over the last year but i imagine that there's going to be a lot more in serverless uh, a lot more ways for us to you know like companies like take shape and that sort of thing that are bringing in you know this concept of an api mesh uh, gatsby does that really well i think that that's going to be um i think the big area for us so it's not just building a website but it's it it's you know making sense of all of these services and making sense of all the data and not all those pieces um you know we're still seeing the cms space is not stable yet or that's not really the right word for it but there's still a lot of growth a lot of changes and that sort of thing so we see you know companies like sanity doing really interesting things constantly you know um and so we're we're kind of watching all of those i see companies like contentful with their you know and i think prismic is doing this now too um with their layers and layers of plugins and that sort of thing. So it really is kind of capturing all that a website can do um, you know um, and being able to you know make that make that all make sense for for a dev team.
0: Regis, is there anything else on your radar you want to add? Yeah, I just
3: wanted to talk about the fact that so we're using Hugo a lot and the problems the, the, the fact that we solve problems and then we, we add it to our stack So usually we build, a Hugo module, which is some cons- some kind of a plugin that you can use, and it's going to solve that problem for you. And recently, we decided that we wanted to um, to create a Hugo framework, which is kind of you know a a, a a plugin on top of Hugo that is going to handle all of those little problems that we've solved over the years, and we've com- compartmentalized them into little modules. But we wanted to bring it to one uh, big software or framework. Uh, that would solve a lot of problems for people. Because Hugo is amazing, um, not only because it's super fast, which is very important now that you know, CIs and hosts are charging build seconds, et cetera, et cetera, but it also uh, sports its own builder. So you don't need Webpack Rollup, or parcel. Hugo will do that for you. It will build your CSS, it will build your JavaScript. And the more people are aware about it and the more we might attract more users to the framework that are familiar with JavaScript, they want to know that that framework understands their needs for JavaScript, for example, passing data from the framework, from Hugo, to your JavaScript file without using JSON stringifying or whatever, and, and, it's, and it's pretty easy to do once you know about it, but it's kind of complicated to set up that builder. You have to understand how it works. It's not as easy as all of the other features of Hugo, which are pretty declarative. It's mostly happening in settings, but with that builder you need to code that yourself and it can be a little bit cumbersome and once you but once you've done it then you can build your javascript you can build your react app with Hugo, go you can build your post css using tailwind etc you don't need a a rollup or a webpack and there's also the seo there's a lot of problems we've been solving that that one is critical as well so that's that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to set up time to build that product, which would be an open source framework that you can put on top of Hugo so that it would uh, bring Hugo to a broader audience. People who have JavaScript skills, who just want to build the websites, who like the, fast, the, the rapid, the fastness and the velocity of Hugo, but don't want to bother with having to build those um, complicated building tools themselves. So that's 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 what's next for us. And hopefully will be our new... A way of doing things because right now we're relying on a lot of modules and um, we think we can bring
0: that into one. It's so is that huge. something you're going to be releasing? Huge, yes. I love the name. Yeah,
3: it's huge for Hugo. It's uh, Yeah, we want to release it in October and the fall uh, at least a beta version or even an alpha version for uh, you know people who love Hugo who just want to try it out and just have feedback and then we can roll up something more definitive. But we have a clear idea of where we how we want to start. And um what we want to achieve with it
2: and it's designed for mostly for people who build you know more complex sites for us but but it should really ease the path into you know building with Hugo and uh, you know kind of a nux or a Nex for Hugo but um, you know yeah so we're excited about that and, and it's really kind of about sharing you know the problems that we've solved in a, in a yeah of that's the sort of way.
0: well, I, I'm glad we we had a, a huge announcement. Uh, here on, on JavaScript Jam. So you heard it here first. Uh, that'll be really exciting. So uh, if people want to hear more about Huge or the new dynamic, what's the best way to find you guys uh, online?
2: Well, uh, so, you know, our website is com. That's the agency. Uh, TND.dev is our site. And there's that's where you'll find the link to um, our Slack, which is, you know, where we have a lot of vibrant conversations about uh, Jamstack and, and food. <laughs> and other things. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's the easiest way to find us right there.
0: Okay, great. And I I endorse the 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 Slack. I think it's a very lively discussion there. Yeah, I love it. I'm um, there all day. That's,
2: my, that's yeah. my world.
0: Okay. Well, thank you guys for being on JavaScript Jam, and uh, we'll see everybody next time. Great. Thanks.
3: Thank you.